The Carter Report presents Plain Talk with John Carter. Hello, friend. I'm John Carter. Welcome to The Carter Report. And this is a new presentation. We're calling it Plain Talk. Around the world, in Australia, America, the Caribbean, even into Saudi Arabia, we have questions and people want plain answers. And today, we're planning to give some plain talk about some of the big questions you've been asking. God has his time and his place for everything. And the time and the place now is Latin America, including Cuba. Time Magazine talks about the Second Protestant Reformation and describes how hundreds of thousands, even millions of Latinos are coming to the gospel of Christ. I'm not an armchair theologian. I'm speaking according to experience. I've seen it with my own eyes. Recently, we went down to El Salvador. There I spoke in the largest football stadium in Central America with the biggest crowd that that football stadium had ever, ever seen. They came not to see a football match, but to hear about the blood of Christ. Millions are coming to a knowledge of God in Latin America. Doors are opening in Cuba. Who knows? We may be going to Cuba soon. As the doors open, by the grace of God, we are going to step through those doors. And we want you to step through those doors with us and be part of our team for such a time as this. Please write to me, friend. Don't put it off. Write to me, John Carter, Post Office Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. In Australia, write to me at Terrigal, New South Wales. Be part of the Second Reformation. Join us and see the miracles of God. Amen. Why is the Muslim religion growing so fast? And should Americans ban the building of mosques? If you start banning the building of mosques, what are you going to do next? Are you going to ban the building of synagogues and churches? Here in the United States of America and in Australia and in Britain and in the best parts of the world, people believe in religious freedom. We believe we have the right to worship God or not to worship God, as our consciences tell us. Now, why is the Muslim faith growing so fast? It's because many of them take their religion seriously. In the Western world, Christianity is marching, but marching backwards, and the Muslims are going ahead. I went to Sydney recently, and... Uh, when I got off the plane and went out to get a taxi, the taxi driver was so courteous and so nice to me. And then he started to talk to me about the Bible and, and then he started to talk to me, would you believe it, about the Quran. He was a Muslim. 
And before I left his taxi, he gave me some DVDs. He said, I know you're a Christian, but one day I want to see you in heaven. And we Muslims want to get to heaven too. He was an evangelist for the Muslims. Now, when I was in Sydney walking around that magnificent city, I didn't see too much of a presence of the Christian church. Many of the churches seem to have closed down. But the Muslims are going ahead because they've got a mission. Now, Jesus told us that we've got a mission too. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. That is why the Carter Report believes in evangelism. So why do you believe that the Bible is true? I believe that the Bible is true not because of blind faith. I don't believe in having blind faith. I don't believe in having faith in faith. There are many reasons why I believe that this book, the Bible, the book of books, is true. It is a book of prophecy. I've studied the prophecies for, for about 50 years. I've studied the prophecy of Daniel 2. In just a few words, it foretold the history of the human race. Try reading it. Daniel 7, the history of the world and the rise of the Antichrist. Prophecy proves that the Bible is true. Daniel chapter 9 tells about the coming of the Messiah. It predicted the very, very year when the Messiah would appear in the world. It says the Messiah would come so many years after a certain decree by a Persian king. The Messiah came in 27 AD. That's when Jesus was baptized. And Jesus died about three years after 27 AD when he was crucified on the cross. All of these great events were foretold through the prophecies of the Bible. Then there's another tremendous proof, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. There's no person like him. The Bible talks about God becoming a man, a Jewish man, dying for our sins on the cross and being raised from the dead. This is beyond human comprehension. The Bible is a divinely inspired book. And there's another reason. The Bible has the ability to change human lives. I've seen it around the world. The best countries in the world are those countries that believe in the Bible. Wherever the Bible goes, it brings freedom, peace, prosperity, and good health. Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This is the word of God. Are you not a bigot because you oppose same-sex marriage? Well, I guess some people would say I'm a bigot because I'm a Christian. Some people would say I'm a bigot because I believe in this book, the Bible. Other people would say I'm a bigot because I believe in freedom of speech and freedom of religion. I believe 
that every person has the right to be what he wants to be. As long as it doesn't hurt me, of course, because your freedom ends where the end of my nose begins. I believe people, if a person wants to be a homosexual, that's his right. But I've got the right to be what I believe I ought to be. I've got the right to believe the Bible. You see, I believe in freedom of speech. Freedom of speech is not bigotry. And if a person has a problem with freedom of speech, maybe it's because he's a bigot. I want to read you something that Jesus said. And I think if my memory's working today, I'm going to come in the Bible in Matthew chapter chapter 19. These are the words of Jesus. And Jesus was not a bigot. Jesus said, haven't you read? He replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife. You see, if I'm going to be called a bigot because I believe in Jesus, then so be it. The Bible teaches that a marriage is between a man and a woman. You've got the right to believe in homosexual practices if you so choose. That is your right. I'm not going to call you a bigot. Don't call me a bigot because I'm a Christian and I believe in the Bible and I believe in freedom of speech. Atheism in America is one of the fastest growing religions. Why is this so? Is atheism even scientific? Atheism is not scientific. You want some plain talk? Here it is. If you're going to be an honest atheist, you've got to say, I've been to every spot in the universe and I discovered that God wasn't there. An atheist says, there is no God. How on earth would he know that there is no God if he hasn't gone to every place and didn't discover that God did not exist. Therefore, it is not scientific. But often atheism is a reaction against bad religion. Are you listening to me? I've been to Russia 42 times. I've seen what atheism did to the Russian soul. Atheism destroyed the Russian people and put to death millions and millions of people. The religion in Russia back in the days of the Tsars was a dreadful thing. The priests persecuted the people. And the problem is that the Russians threw the baby out with the bath water. They got rid of God because of the bad religion. What happened? The deaths of millions and millions of innocent people. Why is it growing so fast in America? Well, they say there's a lot of bad religion over here. But that's not a good reason to give up on God. Now, there's another reason. And this is pretty penetrating, what I'm going to say. I don't say it because I'm trying to offend you. I'm just trying to give you some plain talk. Huxley said, 
he was Darwin's great friend, he said, now that I believe in atheism, I'm free to do anything I want to do, especially with women. Atheism does away with moral restraints. That's plain talk. It's true. Many sociologists believe that we are seeing a collapse of family and society in many American cities, such as Baltimore. What can be done to stop the destruction of American society? Get back to God. Get back to the Bible and get back to the family. When you don't have mums and dads bringing up kids, when the fathers walk out on the family, when the mothers walk out on the family, you've only got hell that's going to follow. What we're seeing in some of the American cities, including Baltimore, is the collapse of the home because of the collapse of faith in God. The best societies in this world, my friend, are those societies that truly believe in God and that practice the teachings of Jesus Christ and that have good families. The Catholics are absolutely correct when they say the family that prays together stays together. Hi, I'm John Carter. My wife Beverly and I were watching television the other night, watching the news, American news. They told us that the church in North America is actually shrinking. They said that atheism is the fastest growing religious movement today in North America. And people are saying, what on earth can we do to save the church? Well, of course, Christ died for the church. He saved the church. But what they mean is, how can we keep the church as a vibrant force in the world today, in Australia, in America, and in Europe, and in the rest of the world? Let me tell you a little story. John Wesley was one of the greatest preachers that the English-speaking world has ever heard. John Wesley came upon the scene of the, of the church in England a few hundred years ago when the church was dying. Like the church today, it was a shrinking church, but the people in the church were in a state of denial. They refused to accept the reality that the church was dying. John Wesley did something that uh, other people said couldn't be done. He revived the church through public evangelism. Did you hear that? He started to preach Christ, he preached the Bible, and he preached out of doors and indoors, and the church was saved. Not only did he save a lot of souls, the souls of sinners, he saved the souls of the saints. Please join me, my friend, in evangelism. It's what Jesus did. Write to me, John Carter, Post Office Box, 1900 Thousand Oaks, California. In Australia, write to me at the address on the screen at Terrigal in New South Wales. Join me, my friend, in preaching Christ. Join me in public evangelism around the world. Thank you, in Jesus' name. I've been reading Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 8, that indicates that there is no hope for the believer who turns away from God. I feel totally discouraged. Is there no hope for me? Uh, yes, there is hope for you, my friend. But let's read 
the passage that you're talking about because it is, quite frankly, a bit of a difficult passage. And I'm going to turn to Hebrews chapter 6, and verses 4 and onwards. The Bible says, It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who've tasted the heavenly gift, who've shared in the Holy Spirit, who've tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away to be brought back to repentance, because to their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. The Bible says here, and I can understand why the person who put in that question uh, is, is so concerned and so discouraged. This text seems to say that if you become a believer and if you turn away from God, you're lost and you're damned forever. Uh, that person wrote to me and I got this on my uh, iPad and uh, the question w- went on more and more. We're just giving you just a little bit of the question. But the person said, a lady said, I feel just so discouraged. I just feel like committing suicide. But I want to tell you today what this is talking about. It's talking not about just uh, committing an ordinary sin, but it's talking about committing the unpardonable sin. Okay, do you want to know what, a, what the unpardonable sin is? Well, let me see if I can find it here. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 31 and 32. Jesus says, So I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. Hey, that's good news. If you turn to God, God will forgive the sin of murder, adultery, fornication, lying and stealing and being just a regular flake. If you turn to God and if you repent of your sin, God's going to forgive every sin. Jesus said it. Jesus said, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. If you sin against the Holy Spirit, the Bible says it's all over. Anyone who speaks against a a, a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Jesus says, you can do this, you can do that, you can murder, you can steal, you can fornicate, you can do all of these dreadful sins. But if you come to Christ in sincere repentance, the blood of Jesus will wash away your sins. Jesus said this, if you sin against the Holy Spirit, there's no forgiveness. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. Now, how do I sin against the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. And the Holy Spirit is sent from God to convict me of my sins. You see, I won't feel my need of repentance until the Holy Spirit comes and convicts me of my sin. Now, when the Holy Spirit talks to me the first time, I hear hear him as though it were thunder in my ears. He talks to me, and I, I just can't get away from his voice. But if I keep saying no to God, no, 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 
the voice of God will become softer and softer and softer because of the process of the hardening of my soul. I can harden my heart. That's why the Bible says, don't harden your hearts. So the unpardonable sin is when a person hardens his heart. But listen to this. If you want to be saved, if you still have a conscience, it shows that you can be saved. You can be redeemed even if you've been a member of the church and you've wandered from God and you've done some some terrible things. But if you come to God in sincere repentance and listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and come to Christ, then my friend, you will be saved. What do you think of Pope Francis? Do you see the day when we shall all unite under the Catholic Church? What do I think of Pope Francis? Well, that's sort of putting me on the spot because I personally don't know Pope Francis. I only see Pope Francis on CNN or Fox News or when I pick up Time Magazine or something like that. I don't know Pope Francis, but he seems to be a sort of nice guy, doesn't he? You know, I'm told, this is what I'm told, he drives a a little car, (laughs) smaller than my car, so he seems to be a rather humble sort of guy. And uh, when he became the Pope, the first thing he did, he went back to the hotel where he had been staying and he paid his hotel bill. He doesn't seem to be like a pontiff. He seems to be a nice sort of guy. Now, the, the Bible tells us that God has got a big family. And I want you to hear what I'm going to say and not misunderstand this. and not Because I'm just giving you some plain talk today. I'm telling you what I believe the Bible teaches and I'm just a plain man and I'm just giving you some plain talk. I believe that God has got a big family and that there are millions of wonderful Roman Catholic Christians. Some people say, oh no, my church, we're the only ones who are going to be saved. You're in for a big shock, my friend. God has got a real big family. And we had a person in my church who said, this person was an amazing person, wrote the book, Great Controversy, Tsar of Ages, And this little old American lady said, the vast majority of God's children are in the Protestant and the Catholic churches. So, as the Pope says, who am I to judge when I'm talking about an individual? Does that mean that I believe in what the Pope teaches? No, I don't believe in all those things. I don't believe in his concept of the gospel. I don't believe that Mary is in heaven. I don't believe in praying to the saints. I don't believe in an earthly priesthood. Do I believe in the priesthood? I sure do. But my priest is Jesus in heaven, my friend. Do I see the day when the churches are going to come together and unite with the Catholic Church? Absolutely. I can see it happening right here in the United States of America because of political correctness And there's another reason people are sort of dumb when it comes to the Bible. There's a lot of ignorance concerning the Bible. But I believe that because people are 
very ignorant of the Bible, they're just going to go the way the wind is blowing. And I, be- I believe that before the end of the world, before Jesus comes, we are going to have one big super amalgamation of religion. And I've got a feeling that the Pope is going to be in charge of it. That's plain talk. Are you interested in conducting an evangelistic campaign in the biggest Muslim country in the world? Oh, I'm interested in doing evangelism anywhere that God opens the doors. Now, I've run evangelistic campaigns before, and I've spoken to lots of Muslims. I have people who say to me, uh, John Carter, you must be very naive because that doesn't happen. You can't, you can't run an evangelistic campaign and uh, you're not going to have Muslims coming. Hey, I've had thousands coming in uh, the city of Kazan, the capital of Tatarstan. We ran a great evangelistic campaign in a great theater that seated about 7,000 people. And then we had a baptism in front of the mosque. In fact, the leader of the Muslim religion told the people that I was a gift from God and to listen to what I was saying because I was preaching the Bible and I was preaching against sin and I was preaching against alcoholism. That's just one thing I spoke out against. And the Muslims said, amen, whereas all the Christians in that city were invariably drunk. So would I be prepared to run a campaign in a Muslim city again? Yes. In the biggest Muslim country in the world? Yes. But if you want me to do it, you better be my partner and send me some money so I can do what God has called us to do. What is the second Protestant Reformation? Oh, the second Protestant Reformation. Well, do you know about the first Protestant Reformation? That was led by that German theologian and priest, Martin Luther. And Martin Luther believed in this. Now, you better get this plainly. He believed in sola Christus, only Christ. Sola Scriptura. We believe in the Bible. This is our authority, not the writings of the church. Sola gratia, only grace. Sola fide, only faith. And this gave birth to the great democracies. That's why we've got an America. That's why we've got an Australia. That's why we've got the great Protestant countries that are still today powerhouses in the world. Now, the second Protestant Reformation, well, around the world today, we are seeing millions of Spanish, Hispanics, we call them, Hispanics, coming to Christ and accepting the Bible and accepting Christ in the United States of America, hundreds of thousands, millions of Hispanics are coming to Christ and turning from the Roman Catholic Church and tens of millions in Latin America. Why, bless your heart, when we went to El Salvador, we had 52,000 people in an outdoor stadium, the biggest crowd that football stadium had ever seen, even for their great football matches. We had more because we're seeing today the second Protestant Reformation. Time magazine spoke about it. Time had it on the front. We're seeing it. And you and I need to be a part of it and do evangelism. 
For a copy of today's program, please contact us at P.O. Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. Or in Australia, contact us at P.O. Box 861, Terrigal, New South Wales, 2260. This program is made possible through the generous support of viewers like you. We thank you for your continued support. May God richly bless you.